Hey, welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Check us out on the web at missiodeschicago.com. God's word. How are you guys doing tonight? You guys, yeah? Is there, you guys alive and well? Cool. Um, this is uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. It says that uh, this is the early church, description of the early church, Acts 2. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The word of the Lord. Let me pray for us one more time, if that's cool. Uh, God, we just are so thankful you're here tonight. Um. I don't know why night service just feels um, just feels special. It feels like um, nostalgic for me. Um, it, I pray that your spirit would just move freely here tonight. Um, yeah, I want to pray for you. I just as you as one of your elders, I just pray that you would tonight experience God um, afresh. That He would give you a fresh vision for your life. That you would not waste your life. That you, would, that you would experience his love for you through other people and through this community. Not today, but just that you would look back to this message three, four years from now and see the seeds that God sowed in your heart. See the, the things he planted in your heart that stemmed from a beautiful life here in Chicago. So Spirit, would you blow through our souls would you speak through your word? In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. All right. Uh, we are in the middle of a series called When Church Signs Lie, in which we are going through four different metaphors of the church. We're going to spend the next two weeks on this metaphor. Uh, the first week we looked at this metaphor of temple, that God's church is uh, you all, y'all, are the temple. And uh, the temple is not a building God's presence is, is, is here when his people are together, and his power is here when his people are together. And uh, we looked at how we are the bride, this imagery of the bride, that God has a passionate pursuit of you, and you, his commitment to you is not based on your flawed commitment to him, but on his flawless commitment to you and to us. And then last week, Bam taught on us the fact that we're a body, a body of light in which we carry around the death of Jesus with us in jars of clay as vessels, and together united, when we are broken, we are crushed, but not crushed to despair, that we can carry on as people of hope and use our gifts. And today, I want to look at this metaphor of family. Throughout every, uh, the major metaphor within the New Testament of the church is this metaphor of family, this church's family. I remember a couple years ago, I was sitting down with a guy that was been a part of our church for a long time. And he looked at me and he said, um, hey, Brian, I'm, I'm not leaving Jesus, but I'm leaving the church. And I said, well, where are you going to go? What church? He said, I'm not going to go to any church. You know, don't, don't get worried. I'm not, like, 
you don't need to get concerned. Like, I've got a lot of worship music. I got a lot of podcasts. I'm going to, like, do it in my own home. I'm going to, like, listen to worship music in my home. I'm going to listen to podcasts. I got a lot of Christian friends. I really don't. I, we get together weekly. We go get drinks, and we hang out, and we're, we're, we're really close. And I, I don't really see why I need to be a part of an organized church anymore. And I, and I, I have sympathy for him, but I want to propose that um, that mindset is laced um, in like our cultural milieu. It's, it's kind of entrapped with like uh, the, 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 we're kind of like fish in water that we can't see. You know, a fish can't see the water it's swimming in. And we live in a time of radical individualism. Um, I want to talk about radical individualism <clears throat> uh, for a minute. Um, basically, what excessive or radical individualism is, is this concept that um, me, myself, and I is that my personal fulfillment in life is what matters more than anything else. Um, basically, go back and watch one of my favorite movies and one of your favorite movies, Ferris Bueller. Um, Ferris Bueller is the epitome of excessive individualism, though it's hard to say that because I love this movie so much. Um, probably why. Uh, they skip school, they go to the Art Institute and see priceless works of art. Cameron pushes his father's car down the, down the, out the window. You know, he's like, screw you, I don't care, and he lives with no consequences. Ferris Bueller wakes up and he says, how could anyone expect someone to go to school on a day like today, right? And the fools in the story are the people of authority, right? The parents and the principal, and those are the ones who just don't get it. Um, and so there's this, uh, this mindset that we live with, with that, that, that clouds our eyes of, of radical individualism. You see, when Jesus came on the scene and said, I am Lord, that was a radical cultural statement, like, that was a radical cultural statement because at the time, Caesar was putting all over Rome on coins and on statues that Caesar is Lord. Now, today, if, if someone was, were to say, Brexit isn't Lord, or the president isn't Lord, I know so that, that, that's a heated time right now, but it still wouldn't have the same, like, umph as it did today. Uh, today, what would be, have the same mentality is not G Caesar is Lord, but to say, and Jesus is Lord, and Caesar is not. Today it would be, Jesus is Lord, and you are not. That you are not God. That you, we are not little individual gods. And so um, I wanted to like at, uh, analyze this ad together uh, by Levi. Um, so you marketing people will have fun with this. Um, so this is a very religious ad. Um, this ad is making a lot of statements. I will not sit at home collecting dust. Can anybody just tell me? Um, what, what words come to mind when you see this? What, I know I've kind of set the stage a little bit there, so it's a little unfair, but what, what, any, anybody, participation mode tonight. What, what, what do you think of when you see this? What's that? Liberation, okay. Dusty? <laughs> what else? Fun, good. Adventure, yeah. What else? Great moment to put on your social media page. Thank you. Um, so we live in this world where we see images like this at nauseum. You probably see 3,000 messages like this a day potentially, especially if you're on social media. Um, and the, this concept that this is, is, and he's almost making a very, this may be a stretch, but he's almost in the shape of a cross a little bit here. Um, so, so there's this sense that... Uh, that fulfillment is, 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 happens when we um, pursue 
our own happiness at whatever the cost. Um, so there's no roots in this picture. There's no sense of stability. There's no sense of, of mundane or monotony. Um, there's no, there's no uh, it's, it's this message that fulfillment will come if I pursue my own self. Uh, let me look at this. Let me show you this quote by uh, Joseph Hellerman on the stage. He describes well what I'm getting at. He says, Our culture has powerfully socialized us to believe that personal happiness and fulfillment should take precedence over the connections we have with others in both our families and our churches. So we run from the painful but redemptive relationships God has placed us in. The tune of radical individualism has been playing in our ears at full volume for decades. We are dancing to the music with gusto. And it is costing us dearly. In America, we have been socialized to believe that our own dreams, goals, and personal fulfillment ought to take precedence over the well-being of any group, our church or our family, or for example, to which we belong. And so what, uh, uh, what we do is we kind of, in our society, we take the scriptures that were written to a collective group of people, and we place them onto the grid of our individual lives. And we take those scriptures that were always meant to be collective. They were, when it says to have joy, that was not just for you as an individual. That was for a community. That was for an entire community. And so we take these scriptures and we read them and we, make, we just apply them just to us as an individual. C.S. Lewis said there's no such thing as an individual Christian in the New Testament. That this entire book, I don't have one with me right now because it's on paper, but the, the, the scriptures... Are, they're constantly pointing to the fact that God didn't just save you as an individual. He saved you he, when he rescued you. It was a communal act. It was a, com- a community event in which he rescued us. This is good news. And so I think it's so easy for us to take the scriptures and just make them say whatever we want them to say. Like, I, I mean, I've been to seminary, and I feel like in seminary, you could just, after that, I, could, I realized that anybody can take the scriptures and make them say whatever they want. You can make it whatever point you want. But I, if you take the Bible and you look at it and say, what does this book emphasize? Like, what are the priorities of this book? The result is you're going to see the emphasis and the priority of this book is that we would be a community of love. That the entire New Testament is wrapped in this. It's, it, it basically, you can't read this book and say the emphasis and the priority is not that we would be a community that loves God and loves one another. That, that you can't run from this. You can't, as a Christian, you can't run from the fact that we were made to love one another. Um, look at John 17. John 17 says this, Jesus' words. You know, uh, I love hearing Jesus' prayer, um, you know, because it, it, it we get to see the actual prayer of Jesus. Like what he really prayed um, with his disciples and with God the Father. And, um, you know, isn't it so re- refreshing sometimes when you, a new Christian, sometimes just prays for the, just an authentic, raw prayer? You know, sometimes it's easy. You get these people who, who, like, make their prayer so fancy, and you're like, oh, man, hers rhymed. And it just, like, feels like that was amazing. How, your, your prayer is so fancy. But then you just get some raw, honest prayer, and you're like, oh, it's just life to my soul. And in and, and Jesus, we get to see his raw, honest prayer. He says, God, my, my prayer is not for them alone, talking about his disciples. I also pray for those who will believe. That's you, God. That's us. So he's praying for uh, He was praying for us. That's pretty crazy. The God of the universe 
was praying for us, the church, throughout all of time. And it says that all of them may be one. This is my prayer for them. I pray for those who will believe that they may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world will may believe that you sent me. So I just want you to slow down there. and I don't know if you just caught that. I pray for us that they may be one, just as I and the Father are one. So he's saying, I want you all to be as intricately close to each other as Jesus is to the Father. As the triune God is one, he's like, I want you guys to get so close to each other. I want you guys to have such an intimate bond with one another, a permanent bond that you are just as close as Jesus is to the Father and the Holy Spirit in that communal dance. Isn't that crazy? It's crazy. Um, so we, we live in this liquid culture, though. Um, uh, Zygmunt Bauman, what a name. Anybody want to name their kid Zygmunt? I, will, I would love to dedicate any Zygmunts in the, in the house. Um, he said, in a liquid modern life, there are no permanent bonds. This resonates with me so deeply. And any debt we take up for a mu- uh, uh, time must be tied loosely so that they can be united again, um, untied again, I'm sorry, as quickly and effortlessly as possible when circumstances change as they surely will in our liquid modern society over and over again. So what he's saying is, is we live in such an individualistic culture that we don't make permanent bonds because we're fear of being hurt. We're fear that if we make a strong bond with other people that we're going to have to just untie those bonds again. And so we don't do it. And, and, and so we both live in a, in a radical individualistic culture and a liquid culture. Um, but Jesus's vision for the church was not that we, that went for heaven. Jesus's vision for heaven was not that there would be a bunch of disconnected souls that would one day meet together in heaven. That's not his vision for the kingdom of God. It's not that there would just be a bunch of individuals who would then just somehow meet together in heaven and be like, oh, you're an individual that got saved by Jesus too. No, his vision was that he would have a family And over and over again, over 250 times, Jesus used the words, you're my brother, you're my mother, you're my sister, you're my father. Like, he's using communal language over 250 times in the scriptures. And then we see this kind of community that Jesus envisioned actually happen. In Acts 2, we see this picture that we read, and it wasn't a programmatic effort. And so I want to just, um, I want to show you what set this church apart, uh, and how it was described, and I'm just through a few words. They all start with P. They're clear, not clever, okay? Um, super cheesy alliteration, but hopefully they'll help you remember them, all right? Um, so the first thing that we see within this Acts 2 church is they had a different set of priorities as the people of God. They had a different set of priorities than the, than the average person being, um, rather, rather than being individualistic, which then just leads to church's entertainment, they were about being the people of God. And so they says that they were devoted. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the prayer, to breaking the bread, to, to, to witnessing, to worshiping together. And so you take that word devoted out and you just have a bunch of Christians getting together for a Bible study or showing up at a prayer meeting and leaving or coming to a Sunday gathering. And you have a bunch of Christians having dinner parties and dabbling in their faith and fitting their faith into their maxed out individual schedules. But you keep that word devoted in, and it's a whole different picture. Because 
devoted is a passion. And passion is the degree of difficulty you're willing to endure to meet your goal. So they were willing to go through all kinds of difficulty to meet this goal of answering Jesus' prayer that we would see in our time, that we would be one as the Father and Jesus are one. And so there, it was so much sacrifice, so much work, so much challenge to navigate tensions, to navigate difficulties. And so they were completely a different set of priorities. Second, they had permanence. They had permanence. Um, again, we live in a liquid culture, but they were, were, were rooted as a family in the oikos, in which there would have been um, uh, family members and business associates and migrant workers and slave slaves sleeping in these different rooms. It would have been a, a, a very tribal place. And I know that's different from our culture now, but I think there's a lot we can learn. This is descriptive, not prescriptive. I'm not saying all of you need to, to go like cram into a one bedroom, all right? Um, but what I am saying is that these, these, this picture should sow some seeds in your heart of what your life could be here in Chicago. Um, that we would not live in Chicago as if it's just one long-term vacation. And some of you have been, you, you, there's no roots here, and you're just like, oh, yeah, I come here. I came here to get a promotion I, so I can go back. And, and, and you know what? I don't want you to feel, it, you could accuse this talk of location legalism, okay? I'm not saying that some of you, God may not be calling you somewhere back to where you came or some other place. That's totally up to God. But what I am saying is while you are here, put down roots. Put down a sense of permanence. We live in a distracted generation, I love what Mark Twain said. He says, most of us are trying to cram two lifetimes into one. We're trying to fulfill two lifetimes into one. And instead, he's like, we, we need to slow down, listen to the vision of God, and be permanent. Second, third, presence. They were in temple courts and in their homes. They were constantly interacting with one another, involved in each other's lives. They shared decisions. They shared their resources. They shared their money. When's the last time you were about to make a major decision and you just asked a group of eight people, hey, should I take this job? Speak into my life. And if you guys say no, I won't take it. That's the kind of life they had. That's the kind of life they had. Um, and the fruit of this is, is uh, first culture relationships versus second culture relationships. Let me explain. Through the lenses of babysitting. Any parents in here? Babysitting is really hard in the city. We have a list of like seven or eight babysitters, and you're like, oh, nope, 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 no, can't come, nope, nope. And you're like, oh, yeah, we're out. Um, and so uh, when we first moved here, um, the way first culture, uh, second culture decisions are for babysitting is, how can I pay someone the least amount of money who has the highest credentials to watch my kid, maybe through some kind of app? first culture relationship is that we live in community to one another, and we sacrifice for one another, and as we share life together, we begin to lay down our life and our time, and it is a, just a dance. Um, when we first moved here, that there was just a, the blessing of many of you, actually, I think I actually mentioned this in one of my sermons, and, and, and Landy reached out to me, he's like, can I babysit your kids? Um, I'm not doing this, so you'll babysit our kids, I promise. Thank you, Landy, though. And some of those other people, but that kind of community where singles and married couples can just all kind of become community. I mean, when we first moved here, I mean, it was like, I don't, sorry to throw you out, but like Tiffany and Jacqueline were, were over at our house all the time, and, and when that happens, God moves in ways that you can't imagine. Because it, it was, Jacqueline was at our house when I got the call that my dad died. And so when you have a first culture, when you have a communal life, 
God moves. And half of the work is just showing up. It's just showing up. It's not supernatural. It's not some amazing thing you have to do. It's just showing up. Eating a meal, sharing time, being together, rooted. All right, so that's presence. Um, Why is this so hard for us? Why is it so hard for us? Number one, we've been hurt by church leaders. Um, Maybe some of us have been hurt by church leaders who've spoken words that were hurtful instead of helpful. Um, And we have broken trust with the church. Uh, Others of us feel maybe used from churches. You feel like maybe you're only used for what you can contribute to a church. Um, Others of us are just very disappointed very disappointed with the way church has gone. And I know that maybe there's been people in our community that you can think of that have been disappointed by our church. Um, Maybe they were expecting one thing and they didn't get it. And maybe you're sitting next to an empty chair and that's the chair that maybe they would have sat in. And so if our church has ever done anything to hurt you, I'm sorry, but God's working on us and I pray you'd give us a chance. I pray you'd give us a second chance. Others of us... um, are calloused. This is not your first rodeo. You've been a part of big churches and small churches. You've heard a guy like me stand up here and tell you some romanticized vision of community, how it's going to be amazing, and it's going to change your life to be in a small group or a gospel community, and you're like, I've heard it a thousand times, but it's just the same old thing. And so I want you to know I'm not speaking from an idolized place as, a, as your pastor. I know what it's like to um, have an atheist friend actually show me the love of Jesus, well, not the love of Jesus, but love practically in ways that the Christian community hasn't. I know what it's like to see a Muslim friend show, lay down their life for, for, for someone else that's an immigrant way more than what the Christian church has. So I know what it's like to, to feel a sense of disappointment or feel a sense of, 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 of callousness, but... Um, I want, I want, what I want to do is, is to help, help you uh, have hope and to be pregnant with hope that God wants you to know that you can't follow Jesus without his people. It is impossible. And he wants you to have, be pregnant with hope in his people again. Amen? Pregnant with hope in his people again. And so I want, I want you to, 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 I want to get extremely practical and personal about how, what this can look like. And I want to just talk about the gap between what we see in Scripture and what we experience in our daily lives. And, and, and um, first, I want to just talk about some misconceptions of what we mean by church's family. Um, number one is a misconception of, of economy exchange. Relationships as an economy ex- of exchange. Um, you guys remember the, um, any, any people... Uh, Older, my age or older, that Seinfeld watchers in the house. You guys remember the gift deficit, the gift deficit one, where it's like you get it. You ever been to that gift deficit place where it was your birthday and someone gave you a gift and you had no clue that that person was going to give you a gift, and you're like, oh my gosh, I got to give. I didn't give them a gift, and so now it's like I got to give them a gift for their birthday next year, and, and, and then so you, you feel like you're in this gift deficit. Um, that's the way we often treat our relationships. That's not what we're talking about, church's family. Economy of change is that if you do, th- I used to have a coworker. She would always go, knock on my door, Brian, not in this place, not in this church, another church. Um, if you'll do this for me, I'll do this for you. And it's, that's the mindset of economy of exchange. That's not the way the church works. That's not the way the family works. Um, in an economy of exchange, we have interest. 
We have interests, and we organize ourselves around those interests or ideals. And if you are a prospective friend who can add to that interest, we bless them. But if you are someone who does not advance our cause, what do we do? We ignore them. We ignore them. And this is efficient, and it gets results, but we know the exclusion, the pain of exclusion when we do this. And, in, and, and when we're guided by our interests or our ideals, it, it has borders, and those borders have teeth. And, and so Jesus didn't play by those rules. Jesus didn't play by an economy of exchange. His church was a family. Look at uh, Matthew and Simon, two of his disciples. Can you pull up the slide that's got the yellow? Yeah, Matthew was a tax collector. Simon was a tax protester. <laughs> Think about that, community, church's family. Matthew collected revenue for the Romans. Simon was a rebel against the Romans. Matthew was wealthy. Simon was a commoner. Matthew lived to make his money by overcharging people like Simon. Simon lived to kill, kill people like Matthew. This is the people that Jesus said, Those, you're gonna, your ideals, your interests are completely at odds, yet you're called to love one another. You're called to love one another and lay your life down for each other. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, says this. He says, those who love their dream of Christian community more than they love the Christian community itself become destroyers of that Christian community, even though their personal intentions may be ever so honest, earnest, and sacrificial. So Jesus didn't lay down his life for the idea of people. He laid his life down for the actual individual people in the community, not the idea of those people. This is huge. This is huge for all of us, every single one of us. And so um, it is not an economy of exchange in which we exchange for one another for our, meeting our ideals and our interests. Um, it is not a relational utopia, and it is not... Church's family is not just the comfort of my people. You know what I mean? It's not the comfort of, of like handpicking your people and then creating family. That's, we're going to get into, that, that's called a, a lifestyle enclave, all right? Um, it, it, and when we do this, when we have misconceptions of the church, we get lost in the middle of the vision of where God's taking us and the, the back here in the scriptures for the vision that God created and where God's taking us, we get lost when we begin to have misconceptions. So there, Jean Venet uh, created all these communities of handicapped people, people that were all over the map in terms of their, 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 um, their sense of handicap. And so, uh, and so the, he created, he said there's these stages of community. The first is the honeymoon stage. And so I, this is very helpful, helpful for you as a, with your relationships and your friends if you're a part of this church. So first, honeymoon. This church is different. Wow, almost everyone here, it just seems so perfect. It's nothing like my old church. Like, this is amazing. They seem unable to, you're unable to see any drawbacks. Um, you only see what is good. Everything is great, exceptional, even angelic. Oh, my goodness. Like, just hang out a little bit, all right? If you're in the honeymoon stage here, just hang out a little bit, all right? If you think this place is perfect, you haven't been here long enough. And so just stick around. And if I haven't disappointed you yet, you just don't know me. You just don't know me. And so, um, so this, this leads to the disillusion stage. The disillusion stage where you, you, you begin to be like, oh, man, they're just, they're just human beings. <laughs> 
they're, they're, these people are nothing different from uh, the last place I was. And you, so you're frustrated. You're frustrated with how things are going. Um, and, and then we begin to settle. And this is what we settle in is, is we settle towards what uh, the sociologist Robert Bella called lifestyle enclaves. Um, it's basically this. Lifestyle enclaves is that you, um, it's, it's, it looks like community, but it's not community. You find community basically within a lifestyle enclave, and you orient yourself around your leisure, what helps you unwind, and, and your consumption, what you indulge in. And that's my biggest fear of our church, is that we would orient ourselves around shared leisures and shared consumptions, not around the vision of Jesus. And someone's like, well, well, we're the church. We're differently. No, actually, his research study goes on and says evangelical Christians, though they had a different understanding of community, still formed in lifestyle enclaves. And in our clear dividing walls with who we hang out with is leisure and consumption. Um, so we love the idea of family more than the individual in that family. Um, and so uh, it, 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 here is where we then move from to, to, to delusion to, comf- to covenant. In a covenant, now, people are no longer saints or devils. We are all, we see the grace and the Holy Spirit in each of us, and we see our brokenness. And we are fully aware, and yet we're growing in maturity together. And so, so sometimes we're going to get things right as a church, and sometimes we're going to get things wrong. And we recognize our faults, we repent, and we get back in line with the gospel. But we, this is where we forgive one another, we confront one another, we speak truth and love. And the question is, in this stage, is are we moving avoiding people in the covenant community or attacking people in the covenant community with gossip or slander? Or are we moving towards those people? Are we, are we moving away from them and attacking them with gossip and slander? Or are we moving towards them? Are we moving towards them because we are family. We are, we are in this covenant community. And this is the honest truth of community, that we are um, Scott McKnight, I love just the title of his book, that we are a community of difference, E-N-T-S, community of difference. An honest community is more about, it's not, it's not a, a lifestyle enclave, it's a common struggle. It's not a utopia. It is a collision of egos that get melted away by the power of the Holy Spirit when we begin to unite in love. And so when that happens, Listen, here's two more that are just going to hit you, all right? <laughs> I know this is really convicting stuff. Parker Palmer, true community is where the person you, you least want to love always lives. Let me say that again. True community is where the person you least want to love always lives. And Dorothy Day, I really only love God as much as I love the person I love the least. First John said that if you don't love the person beside you, you don't love God. You don't love God. Old Testament, we'll see this all throughout. Like, all throughout the Old Testament, God will say, your noisy songs, you worship me, you worship me up and down like this, but you, I, I, I despise your songs because you're not practicing justice. You're not loving the least of these around you. Never will you hear the Scripture say, I, you know, um, I love your songs, but I just hate your love. Never will you see it go the other way around. And so God is calling us to just be this community that, that, that works to love each other. Are you guys with me? 
Okay. I just want to make sure. Um, I need to bring, Bam, come up here and rap for us. <laughs> give me, give me. <laughs> ah! It's good stuff. So how did this early church do this? The early church, they had no copy, listen to this, they had no copy of the New Testament. They had no social media, they had no promotion platform. How did they do this? How did they live this way? The early church, listen to this, would have been made up of a craftsman, slaves, relatives, slaves whose owners was, were not Christians, migrant workers. So I want you to imagine this, a slave woman. In that time, she had to be obedient to her slave owner. And she's got to obey her slave. And this slave master can tell her to do whatever she wants. And so if he needs her to sleep with his friends, she has to do it. And that woman is staying in the same house as a Jewish person. Those tensions to love one another and to understand and to live without judgment had to be extremely hard for that Jewish person. And you imagine these cultures just completely meshing together. And so you don't have family if everyone is alike. That's called uniformity. You have fellowship when difference can come together. Christian maturity is about leaning into this fellowship of difference. Everything Paul teaches about the Christian life is leaning into the fellowship of difference, that we are to be a melting pot of community. And the practices of this church was to walk the steps of Jesus that tread the pathway of laying his life down. And so the early church, they got this vision because they got their feet washed by Jesus. They got their feet washed by Jesus. They saw Jesus bring in outsiders to the table. They said, he said, I will lay, what love is, is, I, is laying your life down for somebody else. So they got this vision and you're like, well, they had Jesus. No, we have the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit in us. And, and, and the whole point of the Holy Spirit, if you look through it, the, let's just take the gifts of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit, what are they for? Uh, look at Ephesians 4. These gifts of the Spirit are not, yes, they individually help you transform as an individual. Yes, they do that, but that's not the goal of the spiritual gifts. This is spiritual gifts. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers in Ephesians 4 to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up for what? Until we reach what? Unity in the faith. So the gifts of the Spirit are for this sense of, of unity in the faith. Oh, wait, what about fruits of the Spirit? We love the list, right? Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. So we love these like gifts. What's the first one? Love. How do you love someone by yourself? I don't think Paul is like, hey, yo, love yourself. Like he wasn't like, yes, you do need to love yourself. But he's like, this gift, this, this fruit is just for you. No, joy. It's for everyone. Peace. He's not saying have inner peace. He's saying, I want you Jews and Gentiles who have differences to have peace together. The whole point of the Spirit in Acts 2, the, they shared the same Spirit and they shared their stuff. They had, it says that they had no needy among them. That's a good vision for our church. No needy among them. Actually, in a couple of weeks, we're going we're gonna to do something crazy. We're going to start taking the, passing the basket offering around, and then we're going to pass it back around. And if you need money, we want you to take it out. I don't know. Ch churches don't do that because churches just want, they, they're, they're, no, we want you, if you need something, we want you to take it out. 
And what does that mean, Monsieur Day Lincoln Square, if nobody takes any money out? One, we're too prideful in our privilege. Or two, there's no needy among us. And that's not the church. And so we, we want to, we, there's no needy among them. They shared their stuff. They shared the spirit. This is just amazing news. Amazing news. And so I just want to practically give you three things. Um, what does this look like for me? Okay, this crazy vision of the church. What do we do? Three things. It's not on here. Um, number one, know others and be known. Know and be known by a few. Are you known and are you, does it, people know your deepest stuff? You have a mask on. Are you known and being known by a few? Number two, are you, who has God put influence in your life? And how are you going to make a disciple of that person? Who has God given you relational influence? You should have three relationships. One, know and be known by a few. Two, you're spiritually influencing others. And three, you need relationships of inconvenience. That you're, you have relationships that are inconvenient to you. Don't nudge your neighbor and be like, you're my three. You know, don't, don't do that. But you need, you need relationships where people that are like, you and they annoy me, but I love them, right? And we're in community together. So I just want to close with this. I want to close with this. I know this was one of these sermons that just hits you because it's, it's all really strong stuff. In our, and it's, look, the, 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 the feeling you feel is not, it's because you're swimming in a land of radical individualism. That's up. For all of, I feel all of this that you feel. It's because I'm swimming in a land of radical individualism. Um, okay, so I'm going to close with this. A counterfeit family versus a spiritual family. I wrote my own anti-passage of Scripture. <laughs> <laughs> counterfeit family. Listen to this. Here's the vision, the anti-Acts 2. People came and left the city every few years with only a personal desire to advance their careers. Because they weren't sure how long they would stay in the city, they never committed themselves to a community and its mission. They jumped from church to church looking for the latest teaching or worship that would meet their preferences. They were worried about surviving, so never financially generous. They never let themselves be known, so they wrestled with the temptations of the city and never saw victory. Most of the people who became Christians, it became too hard to commit, and they left without letting any of the churches know. Those who did stay, they couldn't see the Spirit was doing a new work because they were trying to transform the church into their previous church experience. The result was normal American life came upon every soul and stagnation was being maintained through them. Translate that to the spiritual family. If you would, just close your eyes as you hear Scripture over you again. You guys can come up. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in the homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The word of the Lord. Amen. You guys could just stand with me and pray with me.
Holy Spirit, would you, uh, would you do whatever you want to do tonight? I imagine for all of us, hopefully God's scripture has been speaking to you and to you. I just want to create space for God to bring healing to our lives together. One of the most beautiful stories is uh, the story of the Moravian church. There was a lot of conflict, a lot of different denominations. And they just started studying the one another passages together for weeks. And they came together for communion service. And a revival broke out. Awe and signs and wonders came upon them as they forgave one another, loved one another. And from that night led to a hundred year prayer meeting in which someone was praying around the clock every hour for a hundred years. You may be thinking, what does this have, what does this have to do with the ministry of the spirit? It has everything to do because When we love, we get healed. For some of you, we have held off from loving other people. And God wants to heal you tonight. And when we love, those who don't know Jesus know Jesus. And when we love, the victories we have are sweetened and the failures we have are softened because we did it together. Um, as I've been sharing this vision of this church, this New Testament church, church's family, some of us haven't had that. Uh, and so if you haven't had that, I would encourage you to start to be that, that you would be that to somebody, that it start with you, that as, as you are that for others, you will get healed. pray that God would just uh, during worship I just I don't know I just something I feel like the Holy Spirit was showing me a picture of a lot of loneliness in this place a lot of isolation in this place Um, I just want to pray for you. If, you're, if you feel like you're in a season of isolated, some of you may be married with kids, and that can be one of the most isolating and lonely places. Some of you are single, and you are just in a very isolated and lonely place in this season. Um, we want to just pray that God would break the cycle of radical individualism in the church, that God's spirit would move He'd break the power of loneliness, that he would set us free. And so um, we just want to pray over you and ask some of you to be incredibly brave and just come forward if that's you. There's some of you here, even though you have friends and acquaintances with you, 
actually inside of you, there's an incredible loneliness. You just sense of like, nobody really knows me. That's how it feels. There's things about me, you're thinking nobody knows me. It's like you're like living in, a, in, a, in just this stage of loneliness. And so by coming forward, you're not saying that your friends failed you, your community failed you, or your gospel community failed you. By coming forward, that's just where you are. And the enemy has put this cloud over you or this lie over you that God wants to release tonight. So I just want to ask you if you are in a stage of just feeling isolated, even though you know it may not be true, would you just come forward so we can just, we just want to pray God's, God's love over you, gentle words over you. Yeah, come on. Anybody else? Anybody else want to come forward? I know there's more than three of us. Because I'm, I'm one of them. There's no reason to be embarrassed. Some of you are a leader here. Leadership is lonely. So you need to be brave as well. Lord, would you um, break the power of loneliness in this place? Would you, for those here that, we just want to pray over the brave souls that come forward, how much we love them. We pray for everyone here who may be sensing that but didn't come forward. God, how much you love them. God, would you make this a safe place that those, we pray for those who have anxiety attacks, panic attacks, would you come to them now? Lord, break the power of loneliness. And just by coming forward, there is actually healing in just doing that. There's healing in acknowledging that I'm not okay, that you are loved by him, you're loved by this church. So God, more of you, Lord. We need more of you. If we could just have some prayer leaders come forward as well so we can pray. just continue to worship and pray Lord Jesus would you come in this place would you just create freedom for us to move around the room at any point in the service to just come be prayed over and experience your love because you're here in your community we need you in Jesus' name we pray